was contacted by Dr. Marisa Patterson out of the blue um, quite some months ago, end of last year. So I think she found me just by Googling my work and she reached out and said that she had a very complex situation and she was, you know, in a, in a desperate spot really and could I help? The help that Dr. Marisa Patterson wanted from staff investigative journalist Ali Moore was to expose a top New Zealand professor. And we had many, many conversations about what it might look like to have her story published. And yet, it still took her months of careful thought and agonising, really, uh, to decide that she was going to, to come forward. She came forward with piles of documents, including pages and pages of texts between herself and Auckland University of Technology professor Max Abbott to back up her story. The unique thing about this story is that we have a perpetrator, an alleged perpetrator, and we have an alleged survivor, both named and photographed. And that is quite rare for New Zealand. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, Moore explains how she revealed the case against Dr Abbott and how that case has uncovered more allegations and complaints at AUT. Professor Abbott's pioneering research and advocacy in mental and public health has helped shape policy and have had a positive impact on New Zealand communities. That's AUT's own promotion of Abbott when he won a top accolade. He is one of the most sought-after and well-respected social commentators in the fields of gambling, addictions and mental health research, both here and overseas. Max Abbott is an expert in the field. He's a professor of psychology and public health at AUT and has spent many years working in mental health. Good morning. We have had growing problems with housing. Um, wages are very low for some people. We've had increased inequality. A lot of lonely, isolated people, particularly older people. Pokies remain in clubs and pubs by far the leading cause of harm. Generally, it's very toxic. Um, some people can engage without harm, um, of course, but the impact is so great um, that, in my view, it's enough is enough. On Friday, Abbott resigned, just days after he was suspended, pending an investigation of the allegations revealed by Stuff in May. They include prolonged and persistent stalking and sexual harassment by Abbott over a two-year period. Moore heads Stuff's hashtag MeTooNZ unit. There were 137 pages of texts between the two of them um, that I was required to analyse and... Really, what we were looking for was could could we confidently say that Dr. Patterson had tried to disentangle herself, tried to remove herself from what originally was a consensual text relationship, and an analysis of the the texts showed that she repeatedly asked him to stop and he would draw her back in uh, by asking questions about her um, professional life and her personal life. And the crucial thing to remember here is that as a mid-range, a mid-level research uh, professional, Dr Patterson was quite reliant on uh, maintaining a good relationship with Max Abbott because he is one of a handful, at the very most, international level experts in gambling harm. And as part of my work on this story, um, I did quite a deep dive into the st how academia is structured as a career path. 
Um, and it became very, very clear that it is one of the worst for relying on the good word of others. So, you know, my eventual conclusion was that Dr. Patterson understandably feared for her career if things went sour with Max Abbott. Now, she says she was really uncomfortable with the sexualized nature of the relationship, um, which quickly developed after they met in person for the second time. But she admits that the texts up to a certain point could be seen as consensual. And how long had they known each other for? They met in 2016 at a gambling harm conference in Portugal. They had a friendly exchange of emails, professional relationship. Um, She looked upon him as a friendly mentor. They met again the following year at a meeting of um, like-minded professionals in Melbourne. And she remembers telling him in passing that her marriage had broken down. He asked for her phone number and the texting got quickly very sexual from there. When did things change between them? Dr. Patterson says she became quite quickly uncomfortable. She had begun a new relationship and she wanted to disengage, but she was fearful of making him angry or upsetting the balance of the relationship in a way that might harm her career. So early 2018, uh, she was trying to disengage and some months after that point, she was not uh, involved in any sexual talk. Her texts back to him, no matter what he says, are quite neutral And she, at various times, makes it quite clear that she needs space and does not want to to hear in this way from him. But you see, this is the situation that a lot of women find themselves in. She had to try and manage that relationship extremely carefully. And then one night in in August 2019, she, she says she couldn't take it anymore and she gave her phone to her partner and her partner told him in a text to leave her alone. There was a series of texts that night um, which got quite angry between the two of them. Is it at that point that she laid a formal complaint? It's at that point that she received a an email from um, Professor Abbott, as he was at the time, uh, saying that, that, that she took to be threatening her career, and he followed that with a text that uh, said similar things. Five days later, he uh, emailed, and he didn't apologise, but he said he had overreacted. But she was still left with the impression that her career was in a a precarious position. And at that point, she went to the head of HR at, at Australian National University and asked for help. Moore says Dr Patterson had extraordinary support from ANU at the highest level. They pushed and pushed and pushed hard and would not let it go. Um, And at the point that I got involved, there was already, you know, a trove of documentation really that showed how far ANU had gone to try to get AUT to investigate this in a way that they felt was adequate. And what was the response of AUT? Well, the documentation, the email trail between the two universities shows that in August last year, ANU supported Dr. Patterson in um, lodging her complaint, which was really distressing to read, actually. And they were told in response uh, that Max Abbott would apologise 
which interestingly was not one of the things that ANU asked for because Dr. Patterson wanted no contact from him. So they asked for, for him to stay away from her completely. They asked for him to remove himself from situations where he might influence her career. Because at that stage, remember, they knew that he had um, sent her an email and text that appeared to threaten her career. Uh, and they asked for a full investigation and they asked for the university to apologise. Hmm. Now, the, the documents show that the university didn't apologise. It, it read Dr Patterson's complaint and it interviewed Max Abbott. And then it said, we're satisfied that this situation, this issue is a private one and we consider it closed. And from that point... It's been ANU trying to press AUT to carry out a more thorough investigation. The two sides are still at loggerheads over the investigation. And while Abbott has resigned and apologised to Patterson, Moore says that's not the end of it for AUT. Since the first story about him was published on May the 24th, many more people have come to Moore with allegations. No, it's very much not the end of it. It may well be the end of it for Dr Max Abbott, um, but the university is now carrying out, has promised to carry out a full external review. Um, my understanding is that that's uh, going to be carried out by a female QC and they have promised a full implementation program of the public results of that. Um, once it's finished. And among those those allegations that emerged after May the 24th, did they include allegations against Nigel Hemington, the university's pro-vice-chancellor of International? They did. How many people came to you with allegations about him? Because that, that's compl- something completely different. There were probably about 30 people Um, that we spoke to, verified their um, identities and spoke to at length about uh, issues at AUT after the first Max Abbott story broke. Mm -hmm. Nine of them spoke to me about Nigel Hemington. You know, it's really interesting what you wrote about Nigel Hemington. I mean, you tweeted, please approach this sensitive story with some maturity and no kink shaming. You'll be instantly blocked. As soon as you read that, you you just want to click on the story and find out what it's all about. Well, I thought that that was a really important trigger warning, if you like, or message to put at the top of that tweet because this story is not cut and dried. It does have sensitivities. It carries details of what Nigel Hemington does in his private life and what Professor Hemington does in his private life is none of our business. Uh, However, I spoke to a number of people whose working lives um, were made really difficult, they said, by the revelations that Hemington was frequently making in the workplace. Sources told Moore that Professor Hemington deluged colleagues for years with talk about his intimate life and pictures of a Japanese bondage practice called shibari. Some said his actions were harming AUT's international reputation. Moore says his behaviour was inappropriate. My understanding is that he has been 
suspended right. and that investigation is taking is taking place. We have questions uh, today in to AUT to to find out whether the original complaint that was mentioned in the story is being investigated. Uh, or whether it's a separate complaint or a separate investigation. We don't know at this stage. And also, have you spoken to Max Abbott at all? I have spoken to Dr Abbott, um, not for a couple of weeks, but I spoke to him before the original story ran. Uh, And I also uh, had email contact with him where he responded to my questions. And that was all in the original reporting. When you have had contact with the people who have complained, say about the, these two in particular at AUT, what are they telling you? I mean, are they sort of exasperated? Are they embarrassed or, you know, are they angry or is it a mixture of those things? Some of them are still horrified by their own experiences. Um, some supported others. Some of them have knowledge of, um, you know, being told when they first arrived at the university that there were people that they had to look out for, and Max Abbott was one of them. In the story the weekend before last, I referred to the Whisper Network that was um, operating at AUT. That was, you know, if you were a a young woman and you were joining the university in a teaching role, um, you were generally warned who to stay away from. Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein just got hit with new sexual harassment allegations. The claims come from former assistants and stars like Ashley Judd, who says he invited her to watch him take a shower. Now to the Me Too movement growing this morning in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Millions of women sharing their own stories online, saying sexual harassment and assault isn't just a problem for Hollywood. We're going to speak exclusively. the glamour and glitz of Tinseltown, This morning, more women in Hollywood are coming forward with claims about the kind of men Molly Ringwald calls all the other Harvey Weinsteins. You wrote an opinion piece uh, that the way many workers at AUT feel now is similar to employees of Harvey Weinstein. Why why do you say that? Uh, I say that because people want to love their workplace, right? They want to feel comfortable and... um, safe and secure and stimulated and happy when they go to work. And these revelations have devastated them. I mean, I've got, I've had some angry responses from people who unfortunately have not chosen to reveal their identity, i.e. anonymous trolls, if you like, um, have contacted me privately and um, said all sorts of uh, quite horrible things because they see their, their place their whānau, if you like, under attack. The easy thing to do is to shoot the messenger, so they're angry with me, and I get that. And and I think that a lot of Harvey Weinstein's employees felt the same way. They were proud of the work that they did at the Weinstein Company. Um, they were sickened by Harvey Weinstein's behaviour and the callous way he wielded his power, but they were upset that their place had been shamed, I guess, and I think that there are a lot of people at AUT who have not seen this kind of behaviour, haven't come across it, lucky them, and to them, AUT is a a great university doing wonderful things, and it's their place, it's their workplace, and they want to feel proud of it, 
And so those people are hugely conflicted right now. Kirsty Johnston from the New Zealand Herald has also been covering the allegations of sexual harassment at AUT involving Max Abbott. And she tweeted earlier this week, these stories are so hard and we look into so many we can never publish. And any time we do, it's a huge victory. And she also paid tribute to you. But do you feel like it's a victory? Uh, Purely on those terms, absolutely. Just getting a story like this over the line is incredibly difficult. And she's right, it hardly ever happens. And that is because you are making serious allegations um, that will potentially deeply affect somebody's life um, and could add up in court. So, mm. <laughs> so there is a, a lot of work that goes into getting these stories over the line. Um, I also mentioned this one was unusual because um, Dr. Patterson was willing to be named. Now, very, very few, and I've spoken to more than 500 people about their Me Too stories since we started um, this project, you know, coming up two and a half years ago now. Um, Very, very few of them are willing to be named for lots of reasons. Mainly, they know that it could well directly affect their ability to feed their families. In the first year, when we were dealing with literally hundreds of stories, a pattern started to emerge which showed that most people who try and do the right thing and complain, they will lay a complaint and then they will find that the real hardship starts. Most of the women we've spoken to have said that the original behaviour pales into insignificance um, and the most harmful and traumatic part of the process is after they lay a complaint and the way that that complaint is habitually handled by companies who don't really know what they're doing. So that's one thing. Uh, The other thing is that it's generally, even if they do a complaint, it's generally the complainant that gets moved out or leaves. So women are not stupid. They can see that if they lay a complaint, if they do anything about the the behaviour that they're being subjected to, uh, they may end up out of a job or with their career quite seriously compromised. So they don't. In some smaller cities and towns, we have heard of blacklists that circulate amongst employers. And anybody who has brought a personal grievance complaint or a PG case won't get a job somewhere else either. Of those 500 people that you have spoken to in the last two years, how many have become stories that you can publish? We have published about 50 investigations, uh, but we've written close to 200 stories. That includes op-eds and, you know, and feature series uh, about the issues of sexual harassment and sexual violence. Because if I just hark back to the, the fact that there hasn't been a lot of big names outed for their behaviour, if you like, in this country, it, we've instead had a conversation about the systemic issues about sexual harassment. And that's what we've mostly written about. Um, because it's much easier to publish people's stories if they, if they need their anonymity protected uh, and therefore we're not naming a perpetrator either. We can still tell their stories. And remember, that's what Me Too is all about. Me Too is all about hearing women's 
voices, the kinds of voices that have been silenced up until now. So the allegations involving senior people at AUT, would this be one of the biggest stories that you've been able to publish? Yes. There are other major stories that we have come very close to publishing that have fallen over quite close to publication, disappointingly, uh, when the complainants have just realised they just can't face going to publication, Mm. face seeing their story on the front page. The investigative process in these kinds of stories is particularly gruelling. I have to ask them lots of questions over and over about some of the most distressing times of their life. And some people will go quite a long way down that track with me or my team and then you'll get an email one day saying or a phone call saying, I'm sorry, I'm pulling out, I can't do this. Because we know what happens a lot of the time still and that is that society will point the finger at the complainant why didn't she speak up when it first happened why didn't she tell her boss why didn't she tell the police why didn't she why didn't she why didn't she AUT what is next is there more to come on these allegations there are at least a dozen emails coming in daily so I'm expecting that probably I can't tell you for sure because all of the information that comes in has to be combed over and verified and assessed you know there are people coming to me saying I've heard that XYZ happened so I can't say for sure but I suspect this is not the end of it I've spoken to some incredibly senior people I mean look at what Professor Marilyn Waring said to me that she would never ever suggest to a woman at AUT that they use the internal complaints process. She would send them straight to the Human Rights Commission because the Human Rights Commission knows what sexual harassment is. And AUT has announced an external review of its policies and processes, but Ali Moore is concerned that the terms of reference haven't yet been set, which is a vital part in making sure the complainant isn't on the losing end. That's it today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're on Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Stuff's Ali Moore. Ka kite anō. 